On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got some really cool hardware news. We've finally got some Linux laptops equipped with an AMD Ryzen 4000H series processor. These laptops are thanks to Tuxedo Computers and KDE Slimbook. Cooler Master has launched a Kickstarter campaign to make a really slick looking case for the Raspberry Pi 4. We've also got a lot of app news this week with the latest release of the most popular open source email client, Thunderbird, with version 78. KDE has released version 7.0.0 of Digicam. And if you've been wanting an open source way to control your RGB lights on your devices, then OpenRGB may be the tool for you. And finally, PeerTube has announced the 2.3.0 release that has come with the much-anticipated global search feature. All that and much more coming up on your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. This Week in Linux is a weekly Linux news show, a part of the Destination Linux Network. I'm Michael Tunnell, and this show will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take on the latest topics using my over 20 years experience as a Linux user. If this is the kind of show that you're interested in, then be sure to subscribe. For the video version, you can subscribe on YouTube or the library channel. For an audio-only version, you'll find a link to the MP3 feed in the show notes, or you can subscribe by searching for the show in whatever podcast app that you use. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has over 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. And the cloud-agnostic term is referring to that you don't have to be using DigitalOcean servers in order to get value from those tutorials. In fact, it doesn't have to be a cloud, really. You could get value from desktop usage because these tutorials have a little bit of overlap on all kinds of things because it's not just for cloud and server stuff. You can find a lot of value just on desktop or laptop usage. These tutorials are fantastic, so check those out as well. And if you want to get started on DigitalOcean for that $5 a month, you can go to do.co slash DLN. And actually, not only are you going to be getting started with the $5 a month plan, you can actually get it for free for two months and have a $100 free credit. So if you want to try the $5 a month droplet on multiple different servers, you can, can try to do the integration with it where they have the virtual private cloud structure where you can put them all together, create 10, and then put them all together, create another 10 and put those together, and then connect all 10 of them, all 10 of them together, or all 20 of them together, whatever. You can do that if you want to because they have the free credit for $100 so you can get started by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, you can get started by going to do.co slash DLN and get a $100 free credit that is good for two months just by going to do.co slash DLN. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. 
Up first in the show this week is some awesome news about some new Linux laptops, but more specifically, AMD-powered laptops that have the Ryzen 4000H series, and I am so excited about this because I actually have become a pretty big fan of AMD. I switched my system to AMD graphics card, AMD processor, and I couldn't be more happy about it because it's so nice to use AMD now in Linux because it's open source drivers and it just works out of the box and you don't have to worry about making sure you have the right drivers or whatever. It just figures it out. And having that on a laptop now is super exciting. So this is really cool. There are two different options. We have one from KDE with the KDE Slimbook. I think Slimbook is the company and KDE is a partnership with Slimbook, so it's not necessarily from KDE, it's from the partnership of KDE Slimbook, so I said that weird, but hey, there it is. And also from Tuxedo Computers, where they have the new Tuxedo Pulse 15, which is their version of this laptop. Now, when I say their version, it's actually because they're both based on the same laptop model. There's different configurations, but they're effectively the same model when you talk about the 156 variant screen. There's also a 14 screen for the KDE Slimbook, and I don't think the Tuxedo Pulse has a 14, but I could be wrong about that, so don't hold me to that completely, but there you go. There's some global specs, and they have, like, these. this is a global specs that apply to all, so let's talk about that. The keyboard has backlit, it has two levels of brightness controls, it has lots of language layouts including US and ISO English, it has display, the display of the screens are 1080p at 60Hz panels with a matte non-touch panel screen. It has a, the, an HD webcam with microphone built in and infrared facial recognition, which is pretty interesting. And it also has storage up to two terabytes as an option. And you can get uh, it has up to one NVMe M.2 2280 slot. You can get that for you if you want to on all three of these devices. And also all three can go up to 64 gigs of RAM with the options available of 8, 16, 32, and 64. And it also has support for dual channel RAM, which is fantastic and very important, especially with an AMD computer. So that is awesome. And it also has like one 3.2 Gen 1 Type-C that has power delivery support built into it, which is really cool. USB 3.2 regular type A USB ports has there's two of those and there's also another one uh, type A USB 2.0 it has a full size HDMI output jack which is fantastic Ethernet jack is built in as well which is great I love it when ultrabooks have the Ethernet built in because it's like that little flappy kind where it's not, obviously the Ethernet port is way too big to fit if you just if you just built the laptop on it it'd be way too big. So what they do is create this like panel where it flaps down and makes it bigger to fit the cord, which is awesome solution. And I love it when companies do that. So they did that with this, which is awesome. Uh, it has support for Intel Wi-Fi 6 AX200 with the max speed of 2.4 gigabits per second. It has support for Bluetooth 5.1. It has a micro SD card reader. It also has, wait for it, a courage jack, which is a headphone and microphone combo jack. So it allows you to plug in devices that actually have headphone jacks, which is fantastic. I don't know why laptops are following the trend that phones have done. I don't even know why phones have done it, but hey, whatever, there it is. And it also has two options to charge. Like I said, it gets power delivery from the USB Type-C and also it comes with a barrel jack. Now, this is for the global specs that are related to all of the laptops. 
And with the variants we're gonna talk about now, we have the 14 inch screen and the 15.6 inch screen. The difference is the 15.6 inch screen is the different is the ones for both the Tuxedo computers and the KDE Slimbook. So we're gonna talk about the 14 inch screen first. The KDE Slimbook has 14 inch and 15.6. So the KDE Slimbook has a, a different design of the laptop, but it is the same laptop model base. And they have a, a medium silver magnesium case. It comes with KDE Neon, which makes sense. It has the AMD Ryzen 7 4800H, which they all do. It has eight C CPU cores, seven GPU cores, 16 threads, 2.9 gigahertz base clock, 4.2 gigahertz boost clock, and R RX Vega 7 graphics. Now this applies to all of the, actually this is a global spec too. So. That's weird that I said that because it's a global spec. But there are other options. The reason I'm saying that there's a difference is because the, you can get another option in the Tuxedo computer that has the, the same processor, but also another one that's a smaller processor if you want to save some money. So that's why I'm bringing that back up. But for the most part, this is also available for all of them too. Uh, it has a 14-inch IPS Full HD display. It has a 47-watt-hour a battery, which gives you up to five hours of real basic real world, real world usage. That's a difficult thing to say that shouldn't be difficult, but turns out it was for me at that given time in reality. Anyway, moving on. So we have the 15.6 inch screen uh, versions of this, this laptop. So we have that for the, both the KDE Slimbook and the Tuxedo Pulse 15. They both weigh in at 1.5 kilograms and they also both have uh, over 90 watt hour batteries. They both have a different configuration of which what the actual watt hour is, so I'm not sure what it is exactly, but they both are over 90 watt hours, so there's that. What that means it is up to nine hours battery life for real world usage. I said at that time, perfectly, yes. And uh, continuing on, <laughs> Katie Slimbook is the same magnesium silver uh, case that it has. And it is really interesting that they have these different models because I, I kind of like the black one more. I like that style for laptops anyway, but that's just a preference thing. If you like the silver version, then feel free to get the silver version. I just happen to like the black one, and there's that. So let's uh, talk about the black one, which is the Tuxedo Pulse 15 Gen 1. The option comes with Tuxedo OS based on Ubuntu with the Budgie desktop, which is really interesting. I haven't used Tuxedo OS myself, but I am very interested if it's possible to download the ISO and try it out on another computer because I really want to do that now. Uh, but it's really cool that they have that because it's kind of like the same way that Pop OS is for System76. They have their own version that they've shipped to make sure that the support for that a distro is as as good as it can possibly be because they are doing the testing on the hardware themselves, which is really cool. But if you also, you can choose to get Ubuntu 2004 LTS or OpenSUSE 15.1, and that comes with GNOME, KDE, or XFCE, and that is really nice. So the CPU options for the Tuxedo Fit Pulse 15 are AMD Ryzen 7 4800H, which is the same as the KDE 14, and the Ryzen 5 4600H. And this has six CPU cores, six GPU cores, 12 threads, a three gigahertz base clock, four gigahertz max clock, and RX Vega 6 graphics. So this is a really cool thing. I, I'm really happy 
that they have created these, like they've brought in some Linux laptops that are AMD based because I am a fan of AMD, as I've already said. But this is really cool because you have multiple options here. And if you are interested in checking out either one of them, you'll find links in the show notes below for both. And while I think the hardware wise is pretty much the same, I kind of lean towards the tuxedo because it's that's a silly reason to like the black model more and therefore I want to get it. But hey, it is what it is. I, I, I don't have to justify my reasons for wanting that. I hope anyway. So if you want to check out either one, the tuxedo computer or the KDE Slam book, you'll find links in the show notes below. I don't even know why I said that. Up next in the show is an interesting topic because we're going to talk about a case for the Raspberry Pi 4. And now, normally, I would not cover these thing, kinds of things because there are so many cases for the Raspberry Pi 4 and one that I already suggest because it is pretty awesome. We're going to talk about that one later, but right now, let's talk about the Cooler Master case that is currently on a Kickstarter campaign and is exclusive to this campaign if you want to get it. That is pretty interesting and it has a, a pretty cool features that I have been wanting from a Raspberry Pi for a very long time and they have decided to do it. So let's talk about this. So Cooler Master is a company that is known for its PC cooling solutions and cases. They have raised over $120,000 with just a few hours of launching the campaign and they only asked for $10,539 in comparison. They have now actually reached 231,607 as the time of recording, though this might, during the time of actual recording, change that amount because this is updated live while making the video, and who knows if it stays at this point or not. So right now, as I say it, it's 231,607. So they have definitely shown that there is a market for this case. Maybe a little bit, anyway. <laughs> So this is an aluminum case that directly contacts the CPU for fanless cooling. It has also unrestricted Wi-Fi Bluetooth reception from an exclusive bottom panel design that they say. They say that the lower panel is raised higher in the proximity of the antennas and it locks to the aluminum core at an angle, thus preventing single signal loss, which is pretty interesting. They also have a re reconfigurable, reconfigurable power button, which... Um, most of the time, I'm pretty sure the Raspberry Pi doesn't come with a power button anyway, and most cases don't either, so the fact that they have one at all is pretty cool. GPIO pins have actually been rerouted to the side of the case and has I.O. markings telling you what the I.O. is, which is really cool. So, like, when you look at the Raspberry Pi baseboard, there is a, ras the, the GPIO pins are all the pins that are on the side, like, on a length, along the length of the, the Pi, and there, it's very useful to use that to make any kind of custom configurations, but they are all going straight up. In most cases, the, they either don't give you access to the GPIO pins, or they give you the access by just having a hole at the top, and then you just do that. And that's not really an efficient way of doing it, but I really love the fact that they decided to take the, they create the case to have its own, like, kind of pins that are more of like adapter pins that essentially sit on top of the existing pins and provide more pins on the side of the case, though if you don't want the case to have the pins showing, you there is actually an act, like a like a door, not a door, but there's like a cap that you can put on to hide it if you don't need the pins, but if you do, there you go. And it also tells you what the pins do on the side of the case, which is very handy for people who want to use the pins. So that 
is pretty cool. And that's one of the things that I was saying that I've wanted and that they have done, which is pretty awesome. So they've also done some other stuff where they have uh, a slit for both the display and the camera cables to go through. They have direct view of the status LEDs. And this is where I am super excited, and I can't believe this has not been done before. And maybe it has, but I just haven't seen it. But they made it have VESA wall mounts. So it has the ability to have, it has the holes to put VESA wall mounts on, and they come with these mounts that you attach to it, and then you can attach it to the back of a monitor or a TV that has wall mounts. That way, you don't have to worry about using two-faced tape or whatever, or Velcro or whatever to get the Raspberry Pi on the back of the monitor. You just use the built-in VESA mounts that are there on the monitor and use the the adapter stuff that the case comes with, which is awesome. And I can't believe it took this long to actually become a thing. But maybe it's just because I wasn't aware of it. But either way, it's pretty cool that this has it. So, moving on. There's also a free uh, PSU, or power supply unit, that comes with it if you purchase the uh, Raspberry Pi 4 bundle package, or tier, I guess. See? 231640 now. That I'm just it's hap, it's so many people are excited about this and I am one of those as well. But I just I said it was probably going to go up during the time of the recording and yes yes it did. Anyway, moving on, it's expected to ship in September, right after the end of the campaign, and this is pretty cool because the prices are not that expensive, though it is a kind of an expensive case. So it's twenty seven dollars for the case, which also comes with the Vesa wall mount adapter things. And there's not many of these left. So if you want it, check it out. Do it quickly. Also, there's a $53 package that comes with two cases and eight VESA wall mounts. So if you want to have two different different cases with two different pies in there, there you go. If you want to get a bundle that has the pie built into it, that's an $84 one. And there's also a $97 one that has four cases if you want to do that. So... That is pretty cool, and I really like the fact that this they have done some innovative things like the race of wall mount and also doing the side moving of the GPIO pins. So let's also talk about another case that I mentioned earlier that I think is a really cool case, and it has been my recommendation for a very long time, and that's called the Flirt case. Flirt is also a thing that allows you to have a USB device and a universal remote control and be easily to use this device with your remote control. And it's just a really nice and responsive kind of dongle thing that gives you that function. But in addition to that, because they actually created the company for that particular product and then decided to make an awesome case for the Raspberry Pi, which is what they did. And this case is cheaper by significant. It's uh, $15.95. This was one of the first Raspberry Pis, if not the first affordable Raspberry Pi case made with aluminum, and similar to the aluminum that the Cooler Master has. But they have also this. They also have the same G, uh, heat sink stuff built into the case, so that you get that benefit. So it's got thermal cooling on it, and it also has the aluminum stuff. It also looks really, really nice. It looks like a very professional type thing. Uh, so I think the Flurk looks awesome. I think the Flurk actually looks better than the Cooler Master version, but the Cooler Master version has extra benefits in terms of function and features. So kind of torn in that kind of thing about which one I would suggest. Depends on which one you want. Like if you don't need the GPIO pins, then maybe the Flurk then. If you don't need the base amount, then 
maybe the Flurk then. But if you need either one of those, well, the Cooler Master one looks like a fantastic option. And the difference mostly is those things. So the, I'm pretty sure the Flurk doesn't have give, give you options to the GPIO pins. So if you use the case, you don't use those pins anymore. And if you want to use vase amounts, I don't think it comes with vase amounts either. You might be able to do an adapter, like something that, like a, a cage that holds the Raspberry Pi and then do a vase amount that way. That might exist. I don't know if it exists. If it doesn't, maybe there's a, a you know a chance for someone to make that um, anyway. But I think that this is pretty cool. So Raspberry Pi 4 is a really cool device. If you've never heard of it, you should definitely check it out. We've talked about it on this show many, many times. Raspberry Pi and the Raspberry Pi 4 is even more impressive because of how much power it gives you. It is like the most popular system on a chip or single embedded device computer that allows you to have a single piece of hardware that is essentially a computer for a very cheap price. You can get them as low as $35 for the full Raspberry Pi 4, or you can get the Raspberry Pi 0 for even less, but it has less power, of course. And you can get the higher models that have up to 8 gigabytes of RAM. That's right, 8 gigabytes of RAM on a single board computer that is like about I think $75 for that maybe I don't remember exactly the price for that but roughly around that so pretty cool pretty cool and the flirt case is quite good check that out so I got a note from my producer Mark he says that the flirt case gives the option for reaching the GPIO pins but it requires disassembly it says the site says that GPIO pins are accessible through the slot on the bottom they mean the wires leading to the GPIO so it is technically possible, but not as simplistically and easily as the rerouting of the Cooler Master. So when I said that you couldn't do it, I was wrong about that. You can do it. It's just a different way and a little bit more work to do. But still, you know, if you want to get the Cooler Master, there's an option for you there too. So just wanted to correct that piece there. So thanks, Mark, for correcting that. So if you're interested in checking out the Cooler Master case for the Pi Case 40, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below, as well as a link to the Flork one, just in case you want to check that out as well. So links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. So password managers are a great way to have a balance of security and convenience when using online accounts. And Bitwarden is a fantastic password manager. So let's talk about the balancing of security and convenience. So security these days, you have so many websites that you want to have, want to you make accounts on their site. I mean, you actually should have an account for different sites. That way you can separate the, the different passwords and the different login information. So that way you have more control over that. However, having a different password for every website is a lot to, to, to do and is a lot to keep up with, right? So how do you do that? Use a password manager to keep up with it and you use a password generator to automatically create those passwords for you so you don't have to worry about trying to come up with what the password is. It could be just random gibberish that the generator creates for you and you don't even have to remember it. All you need to do is remember the single password to get into the Bitwarden account and that's it. It's fantastic. I love that function and use so many other great features. And in convenience-wise, though, you have the ability to use it across multiple devices. You can use it on mobile devices, desktop, browser plugins, and even on the command line if you want to. 
And you also get auto-filling passwords so you don't have to type in the passwords yourself, which is fantastic considering how randomly generated they will be, which is exactly what the reason you should get this. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust. Bitwarden is 100% open source, and that is why I trust them because having an open source software for a password manager is fundamentally important to me. When I was using previous software, I, I loved the idea of the convenience of the password manager, but I always had a problem with the fact that they were proprietary. Then I found Bitwarden, and it's open source, and it was just it just blew my mind, and I'm such a fan of it. And in addition to its open sourceness, you also have the ability to self-host it if you want to, which is fantastic. And in addition to that, they also do security audits where they hire third-party firms to audit the softwares for security, and they release release it transparently to see the results. So, and they just did that recently, just a few days ago, which is so awesome. If you want to get started with Bitwarden, you can go to bitwarden.com/dln and get started for free. But if you want some extra features, they have a premium account, which is only ten dollars a year. That's right, $10 per year, and you get one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support, and all of this for just $10 per year. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Or if you're like me, though, you want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 per year. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux and the Destination Linux Network. Up next in the show is some awesome news that I've been waiting for for a very long time, and that is an update to the most popular open source email client, Thunderbird. So Thunderbird 78 has been released. This is an extended support release based on Firefox 78, and it now has a bunch of cool features that I have been waiting for, including an account hub for centralized account setup. They also have a new delete action column in the thread pane, and has added direct message support for Matrix, which is really cool. If you're not aware, Matrix is what uh, the protocol is to use for the element application for chat, or Riot as it used to be called because they have a riot of colors, if you watched the previous episode of the show. And anyway, ability to use custom colors for the folder pane icons has been added, maybe a riot of custom colors. And Lightning Calendar and Task add-on are now part of the app itself, which has, means that the calendar system and the task system is built into Thunderbird automatically without having to set up the Lightning add-ons, which is awesome. And they've also made it where the address books uh, address books are stored in SQLite data, databases, redesigned the Compose interface. They've also made some improvements to the chat feature, added off-the-record messaging support, and added IRC echo message capability. Added native support for OpenGPG, or no, PGP, that's right, OpenPGP, working but marked as work in progress, and it is disabled by default, but it does say that it is working if you want to use it. They've also done a lot of UI improvements to the overall look of the application, like scalable icons throughout the entire interface now for better high DPI support, single-line input fields for multiple email addresses, especially uh, the the location bar has got some improvements for uh, displaying tabs when it shows the websites, which is nice because if you didn't know that because it's based on Firefox, you can actually show websites directly inside of Thunderbird. It also has global search menu in the app menu now, and it has improvements to the mail extension API 
and it also has set up that it no longer supports the older Zool or XUL based add-ons. So it'll only support mail extensions, which is actually pretty cool because I think that progress is good. Some people don't like progress. They don't like change, but I do. So I'm glad that they're doing it because it does add a very big boost in performance, which is very nice. Also, they've added graphics hardware acceleration enabled by default, and they've made some security updates. So many things that are pretty cool. Now, I'm really excited about all the cool stuff about Thunderbird 78, and I can't wait to use it, but I do have to. So let's talk about that. So there's some upgrade problems. It's not yet possible to upgrade from Thunderbird 68 or earlier versions to Thunderbird 78. If you're wondering, is was what about 69, 70, 71, you know, etc.? Well, they base it on the version number of Firefox that they're using. So they were just using 70, uh, 68 before this release. So it jumps from 68 to 78. So that's why there's that huge jump. But Thunderbird 678 does not support upgrading from the previous version because of how different it is and how they changed from the Zool add-ons and all the other stuff. And also, users of Enigmail, the Enigmail add-on, are not really able to update at this time yet. I currently use Thunderbird 68. That means I can't upgrade. I may even just decide to wipe it and just start fresh. I don't know yet, but Thunderbird 78 is very, very interesting, and it looks really looks way better than it was, so I'm really happy to see that. There's also a new dark mode, but some people are reporting that it's just for Windows and Mac and not for Linux, which is unfortunate. I uh, hope that's not the case, but it does seem to be the case at the moment. Or at least the reports are saying so. So I haven't tried it yet because of the whole upgrade problem. But you know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so if you're interested in checking out Thunderbird 78, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show, Digicam 7.0.0 has been released. After eight months of development since the latest version of 6.4, a lot of work has been created. And there's some really, really interesting stuff because there's they've done some a lot of work around face recognition of capabilities. Now using modern neural networks and deep learning technologies, they say based on the latest neural network and features of the OpenCV library, it's able to recognize non-human faces, blurred faces, covered faces, faces turned away, profiles of faces, printed faces, partial faces, all kinds of stuff, which is really, really cool. The faces management and functionality improvements also have stuff like the ability to ignore faces, the, to, the new help box for face workflows, support people's names by importance and or sorting by people's name of importance, or automatic assignment of face tag icons, sorting the face view by unconfirmed faces, grouping faces by similarity, all sorts of stuff. If you're not aware what Digicam is, by the way, I should probably clarify, Digicam is a photo application management tool. So it allows you to uh, manage all your photos and you know stuff. If, you cre- if you're a photographer, for example, and you want to have a place to have all your photos there and you can manage them and organize them and categorize them and all that stuff, Digicam is a great option for that. And if you just want to do that in general and you're not a photographer, you can use Digicam for that as well because it has a lot of cool features. So another cool feature about all of these different face management things is that it uses a local engine, not online services, to make it all work, which is very important to say because I don't want my data of facial data being sent to the internet randomly. Even if there's some people I trust, I just don't want to do that. So I really love the fact that they have it as a local engine-based thing. So 
very, very cool. And a bunch of other cool stuff is done, like the slideshow tool lets you play images in shuffle mode. Image, image mo mosaic wall is a new tool. Create an image based on a bunch of other photos, like just kind of create a mosaic image of all the photos together. And you can even write geolocation into the images if you want to, but the, having that as a mosaic wall just automatically built is like a collage in a way, which is very nice to be able to do that. So really cool that they added that. HTML gallery plugin can now generate a responsive photo gallery, which is very, very cool. You can automatically create your own photo gallery to put on, the, on a website. Very nice. Uh, they also have support for new RAW files and cameras. 40 new RAW form formats are supported. N improved HEIF image support. Full support for the Qt 5.15 framework. And initial support for the upcoming Qt 6 framework. Support for the latest KDE frameworks 5.70. And official support for the Flatpak application bundle. So it now has a format, an app. You can download the application via Flatpak now. Just by going to the Flat Hub and getting it. Very, very cool. Uh, Digicam is just such a good tool. I mean, there's so many people who are photographers, has you know, they've been using it for years and just it's just a really good tool for that and also family photos and just organizing all the file, files that you have. If you have a lot of files and you have a lot of photos, it's it's very nice to have that. And if you are interested in it, then check out the link in the show notes for Digicam 7.0.0. Up next in the show is a little bit of housekeeping. So if you're not aware, to do this show, it takes a lot of time. It takes hours of work to essentially make this show because of all the visuals and all the prep work and all the also recording and then the editing and all that stuff. So it is quite a bit of work, even though you might not think it is because the Final duration of the or the final duration of the video, the episode is less than an hour almost every single time. But the amount of time to create that is never less than 20 hours. So if you'd like to help make this show possible, then consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital and This Week in Linux. And by becoming a patron, you are directly helping me finance the creation of this show because it does take a lot of time. And if you want to help me make this show, as well as all the other content on the channel, then please consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital and This Week in Linux. You also get special rewards like joining me for the new monthly patrons chat live stream stuff, as well as having polls that I'm starting to do where you can vote on the new videos that I'm gonna do on the channel and which one you wanna see first, and then I'll prioritize based on what the patrons say. And I also just wanna take a moment and thank all of the patrons who are helping me. There's over 80 patrons right now helping me make this show possible. And it's, thank you so much, it is amazing, and I couldn't do it without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for helping make this content possible. And if you want to help make this content possible, go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to do so. Have you heard of frontpagelinux.com? Well, if you haven't, then you should totally check it out because it is a great new website that we at the Destination Linux Network have launched to provide news stories, articles, tutorials, videos, and so much more. Frontpagelinux.com is an awesome website, not only because you can do all you get all this great content there, but also because it is a community-based website so anyone can submit content to the site and perhaps feature it on the website so it's like a news tutorial article site and uh, all that with an open source philosophy so if you want to publish something on it and and all, all you really have to do is go to the website and click on the contact and do the submission part and then we'll review it and let you know and you can be a part of the frontpagelinux.com website and it, to me that is just amazing so i know i technically come up with the idea and there's a little bit of bias there 
but I still love the idea, and I hope you do too. So if you want to participate, be sure to do that. And also, I want to let you know about some awesome stuff related to Front Page Linux because we had some people contact us about all sorts of stuff, including someone, uh, Michael Staggs, contacted us about making an Android app. So there's an Android app for FrontPageLinux.com now, so you can go to the Play Store and search for Front Page Linux and just install the app, and therefore you can check all the content there directly on your phone. And it is fantastic and amazing, and I want to thank Michael for creating that for us because I hadn't thought about doing it or have the ability to do it, so he just offered to do it, and that's awesome. So love the community for DLN. Go to frontpagelinux.com to check out all the content and maybe even submit your own. Do you have any peripherals like keyboard or mouse that has RGB light built on into it and it doesn't let you control the color of said device? Well, that could be pretty annoying. I know because I have one of that for my keyboard. My mouse actually lets me control it built onto it, but I can't choose what color it is. It's just a cycle of colors that existing pre-installed in there, but I can't change what it is. And I'm very interested in being able to do that because I just want to, I don't know, I just want to mess with the lights, okay? Sorry, I just do. RGB makes you makes your games have 5 FPS. That has been proven just by having RGB proven, benchmarked completely. I didn't make that up. Uh, open RGB is an open source RGB control application. It allows you to control these things. It actually not just keyboard and mice, but also supports motherboards, RAM modules, graphics cards, and other LED peripherals, which is really, really cool. It has supports for all kinds of different brands like Asus, ASRock, ugh, uh, Corsair, G-Skill, Gigabyte, Kingston, MSI, Razer, and Thermaltake, and even more. So it's it has a lot of different brands that it supports, which is really awesome. It has the ability to set colors and effect modes, and it also has saving and loading profiles, which is really cool. So if you want to have you know, just based on your mood, you can change what the colors are based on a profile, which I really like. I don't know of how much I would use that, but probably a lot, because it is what it is. Control lighting from third-party software is also available. It even has a GUI and a command line interface if you want to use that. And they say on their GitHub that one of the biggest complaints about RGB is the software ecosystem surrounding it. Every manufacturer has their own app their own brand, their own style. If you want to mix and match devices, you end up with a ton of conflicting uh, functionally identical apps competing for your background resources. On top of that, these apps are proprietary and usually Windows only. Some even require online accounts. What if there was a way to control all your RGB devices from a single app on both Windows and Linux without any of that nonsense? That is what RGB or OpenRGB sets out to achieve. One app to rule them all which is, I like, that's a very nice, well-put description of the application. So well done, uh, developers. That's very nicely put. And also, this has a new release. That's why it's on the episode, because this is This Week in Linux, and this week they had a new release. Uh, I wanted to talk about it in general because it's just cool, and I found it, and I want to use it because the colors... I can't change them on my keyboard, and it really annoys me. It shouldn't, but it does, and there it is. <laughs> anyway... Uh, so, 
They've added uh, more CLI options. So for the command line interface, they have more options that you can configure for that. They added the ability to run a headless SDK server, which allows GUI to run separated from the backend, which is really nice and interesting. I'm not sure why you would necessarily need that, but it's interesting that you can. They added the ability to connect to multiple uh, uh, multiple servers and control them from one GUI. Allows one user interface to now control and synchronize lighting across multiple PCs, which is very cool. That is very interesting. Uh, also, they've got some new icons for the GUI. So if you're interested in that kind of thing. And it's pretty cool. So uh, there's actually an article from GamingOnLinux.com about this. They, they said that the CKB-Next is better for Corsair keyboards. So if you have a Corsair keyboard, check into that and open RGB just in case to see what it is. Because it's you know it, it this is a specifically built for that brand. And that might be helpful to you if you want it to be. But I really love the fact that OpenRGB exists because having one application that doesn't care what brand you have, doesn't even care what type of device you're wanting to change the color on, I really like that. And like I said, RGB is important because it gives you five extra frames per second or FPS when you're playing games. I have totally confirmed that and benchmarked it and stuff, not making that up at all. So yeah, if you want to check out OpenRGB, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of PeerTube. We talked about PeerTube last time when they did a campaign for crowdfunding. If you, I don't know if it's actually still available to do crowdfunding, but if it is, check it out because they are making some really good updates and improvements that I'm really excited about. If you're not aware, PeerTube is a decentralized and federated alternative to YouTube. Now, the issue with PeerTube has been that it didn't have a global search function so that while you could federate your instance with other instances inside of the, the activity pub or web torrent protocols and stuff like that, it didn't allow you to search all of them, just the one you were on, which was not ideal. I did not like that. And it was one of the things that I've always wanted them to fix, and they have in 2.3. That's right, 2.3 version of PeerTube has global search built into it, and that is awesome. Now, to be clear, it does require the developer, or the, not the developer, the administrator of an instance of PeerTube to actually activate and enable that, but it is there now, which is awesome. So it's not there by default, but if a server admin explicitly enables it, then you can do that on that particular instance. And I would suggest that every single instance do that if they're in the Federation. If they're not, and you're just a regular instance, then it doesn't matter. But if you are in the Federation, you might as well turn it on because it is very, very important. Please do so. So <laughs> they also added the ability to bulk delete comments of an account, which is very nice because if you if you banned an account from your uh, as a as a content creator and you could only delete that one account, one comment, it was, it was kind of painful. But now you can do the bulk delete of comments, which is very nice. They also added the ability to mute accounts from the video miniature, which is like the, the mini version of the video uh, player, and also increased language support as well as improved documentation. And a lot of bug fixes have been done in the 2.3.0 release, which is very cool. There are other alternatives to YouTube as well, like library and a bunch of others, but... I'm glad that PeerTube has this fundamental feature that is very important, and it has been added in 2.3.0. So if you are on a PeerTube instance, you might want to contact the server admin of that instance and ask them to update and activate that feature. So there you go. If you learn, want to learn more about PeerTube and what they've done in the latest release of the 2.3.0, then I'll have links 
in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to support This Week in Linux podcast, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network store. This is a shirt that I designed, which I admit I am a little bit biased, the fact that I love it. But if you want to check it out, it is a fantastic shirt, not just because I designed it, but because it is awesome in general. <laughs> so Linux is Everywhere is a shirt that has Tux blended in the background to convey the message that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. So check it out by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. And we also have ways to contribute well at any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And this show has been changing quite a bit. We've been doing a lot of more, lot of fun stuff recently. So we had a ButterFS versus ZFS battle. We had a talk, a talk of it, topic that we talked about last episode about it's okay to use Nano. There was a lot of people who don't think that it's okay. And a lot of people who do think it is, and it was an interesting thing to see in the comments. So if you hadn't seen that episode, be sure to do that. And we also did a th an episode about how to protect your data and so much more. So check it out by going to destinationlinux.org. And I just want to thank you again for watching This Week in Linux. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. <laughs>